I find our first reading today from the book of the prophet Jonah absolutely hilarious because it leaves out pretty much everything that makes that story of Jonah so very interesting. Our passage starts off this morning telling us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, set out for the great city of Nineveh, and announced to it the message that I will tell you. In the next verse that we get this morning, it says, So Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Simple enough, right? God told Jonah to go, and he went, right? Wrong. These verses come from Jonah chapter 3, but perhaps you are also aware that in Jonah chapter 1, it starts off with at least very similar words at first. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, set out for the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So far, so good. God calls Jonah to do something. But the next verse goes a bit differently. But Jonah made ready to flee to Tarshish, away from the Lord. Jonah runs away. In fact, he tries to get as far away from God as humanly possible. Tarshish was the absolute western limit of the known world at that time. Why does Jonah do this? Well, besides the fact that humanity is fallen and we just tend not to see how the call of the Lord actually is really what's best for us, I wonder if something else was going on in the heart and the mind of Jonah. Think about it for a second. What was God calling Jonah to do? Set out for the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for their wickedness has come before me. That is important to remember. The Lord was calling Jonah to go preach against the works of the people of the largest and the most powerful city around. Now the picture becomes a little clearer. Jonah was probably really afraid. He was about to stick his neck out. He was about to call a spade a spade and put his life on the line. He was being asked to preach truth to the people of Nineveh, and he did not know how it was going to turn out. In fact, he probably thought it was going to go really, really badly. So he ran away, or at least he tried. As the story goes, the Lord did not give up on Jonah, perhaps to his dismay, and God sent a great fish to come and swallow him up, right, and carry him all the way back to land, back to fulfill his vocation, back to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. Repentance is hard. It's uncomfortable. Because fundamental to the very concept of repentance is the acknowledgement that you've been on the wrong road, that you have taken the incorrect path, and that literally you have to turn around, change your perspective, change your mind. And we hate doing that, don't we? We hate being wrong. We hate admitting that something is our fault, that something is our guilt, right? That we did something wrong. But there's no way out of repentance. 
Practically the very first words of Jesus in his public ministry, as we heard in our gospel reading this morning, are repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, turn around. You're headed the wrong way. Like Jonah's huge fish, Jesus snatches up beloved souls and he redirects them. He is the great fisher of men. He lures them in, changes their course, and he carries them back to land, back to their true vocation, back to their mission. What a grace, what a gift to be caught by the love of Jesus and led in love into repentance, to be transformed and changed in mind, heart, and will in our actions. If you've experienced a conversion in your life, a deep interior repentance, then you know better than anyone else that you can't claim any real credit at all. God saved you. God helped you to see your errors. I know that he did for me. He led me, probably with a I'd smack upside my head, as one of my brother priests always likes to say, into the liberation of heartfelt repentance. He gave us strength and courage to change our minds. But if you experience that conversion, then you probably also know better than anybody else that it wasn't easy. It probably required you to say no to things that you were very used to saying yes to. Maybe it meant disappointing friends or family. Perhaps it demanded a tough conversation with someone you loved. Or maybe you had to break off a relationship that you knew was going nowhere fast. Repentance is always hard. And perhaps it's even harder, however, to call others to repentance. I know as a priest, it's incredibly daunting to have to stand up on this pulpit week in and week out and preach repentance. Because I'm not perfect, I'm still a sinner, and yet I am being called by God to proclaim, yes, the radiant goodness, the unconditional love, the unwearying mercy of God. Yes, I get to preach all of that, and that's, that's fun. But I also am being called to point out the pitfalls, the traps, and the lies that would ensnare all of our souls and drag all of us away from Jesus. I have to name sin and call everyone, including myself, to deep, lasting repentance, that firm resolve to avoid sin, to choose good. I have to march into this modern-day Nineveh and call a spade a spade, regardless of how I think my people might respond. This weekend in particular, I feel prompted by the Lord to name the unconscionable evil of abortion, the destruction of innocent life, the dismantling and the jettisoning of the dignity of the human person. I feel a specific call to pray for the conversion and the repentance of our Virginia legislature, which sadly just voted to fund abortions with our taxpayer money. I'm moved, hopefully, I pray, I hope, 
that I'm moved out of a sincere love for a brother in Christ in calling our newly inaugurated president, whom we should be praying for, to repentance in this crucial area as well. No matter your political opinions, we as believing Catholics need to be on the same page in boldly inviting our entire nation, including ourselves, to a conversion of heart surrounding that inviolable dignity of every single person, regardless of their stage and development. That's good news. Do we believe that? Granted, it's not the only issue that we care about as a church. Catholics need to be clear that we hate all sin, and we love every sinner. Zero exceptions. Racism, lack of compassion for the immigrant, indiscriminate destruction of the environment, capital punishment, euthanasia, gender ideology, immoral premarital relations, judgmentalism, abuse, sexism, pride, envy, greed, lust, impatience, hatred, resentment, lack of forgiveness, disrespecting our parents, with each and every one of these problems that so many of us know so very well, the church must boldly and lovingly lead people out of darkness and into the marvelous light and freedom of the gospel. We need to consistently preach repentance, not because we're judgmental or that we are mean, but so that we can actually each encounter the love of Jesus Christ. The alternative to ignore evil and pretend that we're all just fine would be the cause for my own soul's damnation and perhaps yours as well. I would be like Jonah, hopping on the first boat to Tarshish and away from God, and I can't do that. St. Catherine of Siena once said that sincere love for God and sincere hatred for sin are like two sharp edges of a single sword. How can we say that we love God and not hate real sin? All sin. That would be a gross contradiction. St. Paul in our second reading today turns up the heat, doesn't he? He says, time is running out. It's like the people in Nineveh. They had 40 days. Time is running out for the world in its present form is passing away. Do we hear the urgency in those words? We do not have time to dally around with any sin. None of us have time to make any excuses whatsoever. We need to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates, to embrace virtue and reject vice. If we love what God hates and hate what God loves, then we are on the wrong side of reality. We are against Jesus and his church, and we, like the rest of the world, will pass away. Time is running out. Okay, so, sorry, I got kind of intense there. Letting the Holy Spirit flow. If it's all true, if that's all true, then how do we repent? How do we call others to repentance? Well, unfortunately, many people act as if conversion and repentance happens when we attack someone or shame them into orthodoxy, into right belief. Let's be clear, that is not the case. No, the conversion, true conversion that God is bringing about 
is always initiated by him, he who advances toward us and seeks us out in love. The poet Francis Thompson once beautifully described God as the hound of heaven, tirelessly pursuing the runaway soul. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways. Of my own mind and in the midst, in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Like Jonah, the person in the poem is running the opposite direction. They do not want to repent or to turn around. And yet, God, the hound of heaven, is on a mission to win back that wayward soul. He loves that person too much to give up the hunt. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Do you hear that? It's a chase of love, a divine pursuit. Christ preaches to each of our souls, repent. Why? Because he just wants to be with us. That's what conversion is all about. St. Paul, St. Augustine, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, Edith Stein, John Henry Newman, and countless others down through the centuries, all of these beautiful souls were not hammered into submission by angry preaching. No, they were drawn into the folds of God's love by an amazing, almost irresistible grace that couldn't fully be explained by them. Each, in their own way, felt joyfully defeated by the truth that was proclaimed. C.S. Lewis, I just read his autobiography, or rather listened to it on Audible, uh, Surprised by Joy. He describes himself there as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. He did not want to admit that God was God. And yet, at long last, after running away for quite some time, he felt compelled to just kneel down and pray and repent. So often we try to force people into changing their minds, into repenting, through fierce Facebook posts maybe, or clever tweets and mean-spirited comments. But in reality, all the while, the hound of heaven is quietly, consistently approaching them, offering them life. All the while, the runaway is invisibly attached by a long, thin thread. And it is our Christian hope that in the end, a mere twitch upon the thread will bring that person home. And the runaway, like the prophet Jonah, will finally give up his doomed attempt at avoiding God. And at last, allow the hound of heaven himself to catch him and embrace him. Repentance is indeed hard, but it's the only way. Jesus is life. If we want to preach Jesus our life, then we cannot avoid preaching true repentance. Repentance away from death and into life.